This is the first time. Chirp Radio's live storytelling and music series recorded at Martyrs in Chicago's North Center neighborhood. Here's your host, Jen Sodini. guest for the night is Ms. Allie Wachowski. She hosts a podcast called Amateur Hour. You can find it on SoundCloud and also uh, on the podcast applications for your smart device. It's She described it to me as three women getting wasted talking about pop culture and sexual feelings for kid rock and pubic hair. So I was like, I'm down. Have me on as a guest. Um, She's also starting up a Mentally Chill podcast, something near and dear to my heart, a mental illness-themed story podcast. Guys, big round of applause. Give it up. Energy. Allie Wachowski. Yeah, give it up. Allie Wachowski. You guys nervous? You seem nervous. Um, I'm going to be talking about mental illness today, something that this bar full of storytellers and the people that love them probably can't relate to. Um, So here I go, I guess. By the fourth time, I know the drill. Strings pulled out of hoodies, no bras with underwire, no hardcover books, soft sole slippers in lieu of shoes. I'd been in and out of enough hospitals in the past 10 years to know exactly how many pairs of leggings would get me through, no matter how long the stay. I've learned to give a detailed medical history in 140 characters or less, hitting only the most important milestones on the way. Suicide attempts, manic episodes, the highlight reel. I've trained my body not to junk when every 15 minutes staff pops their head in my bedroom for wellness checks. I've memorized the important numbers so I can call my mom or my best friend or my boyfriend or whoever if I ever get the phone, which is something not easily accomplished on a locked unit of 30 women. Because women be talking, am I right, you guys? (laughs) The first time was the worst, naturally. My aunt sat by my bedside in the emergency room where I landed myself after eating two bottles of pain pills for breakfast instead of going to the physics class that I was failing for the second time. I was 16 and I was in more pain than I could understand. Rough morning, huh? She said. When I was stable, they transferred me to a psych hospital that had an adolescent ward. There were two other kids on the unit where the common room shared a window with the adults' common room. We only had two functioning VHS tapes, so we would watch Bench Warmers and Homeward Bound 2 on a loop. <laughs> Taking breaks occasionally to discuss whether or not you thought the dogs really got along with the cat in real life or to try to out-crazy each other or exhaust the nurses. When that got old, we let our attention drift to the window where the adults were. Some screamed, some talked to themselves, but most of them just looked like us, bored, miserable. It was kind of fucked up, self-centered and voyeuristic, the way that we watched their pain, but you could tell that we were all silently sharing the same thought. Is that gonna be us? Is it always going to be like this? On the third day of my stay, I was presented with a heavy booklet in a Scantron, a personality diagnostic test. 100 questions that would succinctly finally answer the question, the only question, why did I do what I had done that Monday? What was wrong with me? 
I answered each question really carefully. I wanted to seem normal, but not too normal, so she knew that I was being careful enough to seem normal. (laughs) I imagined that she would come into my room with my test results and absolve me. You're fine. This was a fluke, she would say. You're normal, and you can go back to your life. I could go back to school, fail physics. Nobody would have to know. That is not what she said. (laughs) You have depression, she told me. No shit. (laughs) She prescribed antidepressants. They watched me for a couple days. They sent me on my way. I went home. I didn't tell my friends. I kept failing physics, and I eventually quit high school for good. Life was normal for the next few years. Like, super normal? I went to work, and I had friends, and I went to the bar, I did volunteer work, and everything was fine, and I was really normal, and I'm super fine, and I'm so normal, and like the most normal, and I'm really fine. (laughs) You guys, it's fine. Until it really super wasn't. One morning on the blue line, my hallucinations became undeniable. As I looked at my reflection in the window, my face changed. I wish I could explain it better than that, and I should be able to explain it better than that, but there was... A shift in me, my face changed and something in me changed too. I became convinced that I was demonic, a monster. I went silent for 24 straight hours almost and I was admitted to another psych hospital. A PTSD-induced psychotic episode, they called it. That's what I would call it too if they would just let me go home. They did, with new medication, with a page of referrals, with a packet of worksheets. You see, it goes like this every time. I nod when the doctor tells me. When the doctor talks and I stick my tongue out after I swallow my pills and I eat my beige food off the paper tray without a fight, and after a few days, they stamp me on my forehead. Recovered. I make an appointment with a nice new doctor. I'm given a new workbook to complete about my trauma. I take my med... No, that's right, sorry. (laughs) I take my medication religiously at first. I meet my new doctor. She tells me all the ways she's curing me. I agree. But they catch up every time, you know? The visions, the voices, the hallucinations. And pretty soon, I'm skipping my meds again, and I'm skipping appointments again. And what does that doctor know anyway? And I can tell her she can put her fucking workbook. I have two moods now, asleep and volatile. I've convinced myself that I'm passing for normal, but all of my relationships have shifted. I'm paranoid. I'm scared. But I am unwilling to admit this because I have watched enough people that I know and love be ravaged by mental illness. I decide that I am smart enough, that I am strong enough, that I can stop mine from devouring me whole. I stop writing. I drink most days. I use most days. I quit drinking. I try my friend's church. I start drinking. I see a psychic. I drink a tea made of fennel seeds that my coworker made me when she found me crying on the bathroom floor at work. I lose my job. I get my cards read. I light white candles. I sage the apartment. I burn Palo Santo. I pray the rosary, and I starve myself, and I stuff myself, and I sit on the floor of the shower until my skin is pink and tender, and I let the water burn me as hot as knives until it runs cold, and I can't cry anymore. Sometimes I sleep for 18 straight hours. Sometimes I go for walks at 3 in the morning. 
And when I wake up in the morning, my feet are aching and blistered and my shoes are muddy and I have no idea where I've been and I barely have a grip on my own name. I am no longer passing for normal, not to myself, not to the people who love me. This is the part of writing this where I struggle. When they told me the theme of the story, this is the story that I felt compelled to tell, but no matter how many times I got to this point, I didn't know where else to go. Um, how do you tell a story that isn't finished? My doctor tells me that I'm lucky, that schizophrenia is neurodegenerative, but the fact that I sought treatment so soon after my symptoms started means that we can stop it from spreading much further, or at least we can slow the process down. Some days I believe her, some days I wake up and the sun is shining on my face and I make my coffee and I drink it on the porch and I feel so fucking lucky to be here. Some days I wake up sweaty from nightmares, feeling like someone's sitting at the foot of the bed and on my chest and I wonder what I did to deserve this curse. Sometimes I wonder that if I had just told the truth, the whole truth from the beginning, or to any of the doctors between 16 and now if it would have gotten this far. That line of thinking is, of course, fruitless. I'm here now with a new normal, a normal that looks like a team of doctors and a caseworker that texts me to remind me to just, like, check my mail. <laughs> um, a normal that looks like eight pills a day and an 11 o'clock bedtime, and it's not really very sexy or even that fun. <laughs> but... Um, I feel scared a lot less often than I did, and I feel strong more often than I don't. Thank you.
I'll be rich someday, Ma. Look what they've done to my song. Elles ont changé ma chanson. C'est la seule chose que je pouvais Et ce n'est pas banalement Elles ont changé ma chanson Look what they've done to my song You've been listening to a Chirp Radio podcast of our live storytelling and music series, The First Time. Our storyteller was Allie Wachowski, and the first time four performed Look What They've Done to My Song by Melanie Safka. The first time four is Steve Frisbee, Liam Davis, Gerald Dowd, and Scott Stevenson. To hear more first time pieces, check out the series website, firsttime.chirpradio.org. And you can find other podcasts produced by the station at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Chirp Radio, hear what's next. <laughs>